welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, your boy on social media at MMALOTN, and the architect behind the MMA Fight Archive, making sure you leave no stone unturned when you're doing your researching for these upcoming MMA events. With over 2,700 fighter profiles on there currently and new ones being added on a regular basis, we ensure that you can go out there and study everything you need to know for every fighter competing on these upcoming MMA cards. Not just the UFC, but just for the rest of the year, we got PFO Europe, two shows for ACA, Aries FC, Cage Warriors, CFFC, LFA, KSW, and A1 Combat. Those are just a handful of the promotions that we cover. And going into the new year, we will be adding more promotions. I'll be taking suggestions and requests from the current subscribers and seeing which are the most uh, demanded and highly requested promotions. And I'll be adding those to the Fight Archive as well. Make sure you guys check it out. Seven-day free trial available so you can find out why the top analysts, commentators, cappers, coaches, and fighters utilize this service to ensure they are ready for their upcoming events. Once again, the link is in the description below. Seven-day free trial, MMA Fight Archive. Make sure you check it out. All right, this week we're going over UFC Vegas 83, headlined by a bantamweight matchup between Song Yudong and Chris Gutierrez. This was highly rumored to be Pyotr Yan against Song Yudong. Unfortunately, Pyotr was unable to make the date, and this fight was actually supposed to take place in Shanghai. Unfortunately, something fell through on that side of things, and now we are getting this fight back at the apex. It was originally scheduled for 10 fights because we had the Road to UFC finale on this card as well. Unfortunately, that gets pushed back as well now to February, but we did manage to add to tack on two more fights to make this a full 12-fight card. We did have a fallout yesterday, a couple of days ago with Sumo Darji and Alan Nascimento, but luckily Mr. Tim Elliott steps in and saves the day. But like I said, main event, Song Yudong, Chris Gutierrez, fun main event there. Co-main event, we got light heavyweights where we got Anthony Smith going up against Khalil Roundtree and a bunch of other pretty fun fights sprinkled all throughout the card. So very much looking forward to breaking that down for you guys. Before we get into it, though, let's quickly recap the last UFC event that we had here for the Lock of the Night and Dog of the Night predictions that I had. Lock of the Night prediction was originally Melquizael Costa as he was supposed to take on Steve Garcia. Steve Garcia was forced to pull out. That fight gets rescheduled for this weekend. So I had to flip the script real quick on you guys. And I switched my uh, lock of the night prediction from Costa to Joaquim Silva, who made it a little bit closer than he should have. But luckily, he still went out there and got the W over Clay Guida. Very happy to cash it again. Super chalky there around that minus 300 line, but I'm looking to hit as much as possible. And as you guys see when you guys watch the Lock of the Night candidates video, we're still pretty heavy in the green, even if we end up taking chalk in some spots. So in terms of an actual record, we got 97 and 33 on the year for the Lock of the Night predictions for a 75% hit rate. Very happy with that. Again, 80% is ideal, but we're still in the green with a 75% hit rate. Dog of the Night does not end up coming through as Calvin Gaslam goes out there and gets submitted by Sean Brady after getting dominated for about two rounds. Uh, hats off to Sean Brady. Great bounce back performance for him, especially after suffering his first professional loss in October of last 
last year uh, at the hands of Bilal Muhammad. I thought Calvin Gaston would look career best coming back down to 170 pounds, but it seems like Brady just had his number at that point. I still believe Gaslam is destined for some solid things at 170 pounds, considering he has the weight cut down now. I think it just comes down to stylistic matchups for him. So we take an L on the dog of the night there, which now brings our record to 56 and 72 on the year for a 44% hit rate. Still in the green, roughly about a 10% ROI. Again, you guys can get the specifics on that when you check out the top three dog of the night candidates video that will be dropping on Wednesday. Also, as I announced last week, I usually drop the Lockheed Two-Step and Lockheed Trinity free parlay video for you guys on Thursdays or Fridays. If you want early access to those, you guys can check out the Lock of the Night Patreon page. Link for that is in the description below where I drop it for free. You don't have to sign up for anything. So you can just check it out yourself. And again, that's obviously a gateway to hopefully that you'll hop onto the Patreon page as well and check out the full breakdowns that I normally have in written format all those guys get it first in written format before I drop the podcast. Uh, that's where you guys will also be able to see my official lock of the night play, official dog of the night play, and all the other great plays that I have for you guys as well. That is strictly on the lock of the night Patreon page. Link for that is in the description below. And then lastly, shout out to the guys over there. I got Zilla wins, giving your boy a platform to drop written content to the public. We got the main event breakdowns dropping on Wednesdays and then the three best money line spots dropping on Thursdays. Check the link in the description below for that. Once those get posted, I update the description here so you guys can check it out or just go to GodzillaWins.com and check it out for yourself, not just for MMA, but also all the other big sports as we got a great team over there and we have you covered from all the big sports NBA in season tournament is going on right now we got the NFL NHL all of that good stuff make sure you guys check it out godzillawins.com all right we got 12 fights to get through for this UFC Vegas 83 card there's no need to dilly dally any longer let's get right into it first fight of the night is a catch weight bout at 140 pounds this is one of those late notice fights just to fill out the rest of the card we got daniel marcos coming in as a minus 530 underdog going up against carlos vera coming in at plus 415 starting off on the daniel marcos side he was scheduled to fight dana white contender series alum victor hugo at the beginning of november unfortunately hugo misses weight badly forces that fight to get canceled and Marcos has just been chomping at the bit to get back in the cage to utilize the full training camp that he had so he can actually go out there, get paid, and get another, hopefully, W under his belt. He's 15-0 at this point in time. Had a close win over Davy Grant earlier this year uh, where he was able to pick up, a, like I said, a decision win. Not a lot of people thought he deserved to win that fight, but apparently he did enough in the judges' eyes to win the first two rounds and get his hand raised in that matchup. He's a solid fighter who showcases a good, consistent calf kick, which he's able to open up the rest of his striking game with that, but also has an um, underrated grappling game that he showed on the regional scene, uh, which he hasn't shown as much of recently. He's been mainly going out there, letting his hands go, letting his kicks go, and using that to do most of his talking. At 30 years old and training pretty much exclusively with Charles Rosa, you're seeing a lot of improvements from him on a fight-to-fight basis, and I think he can keep this winning streak intact for the next couple fights. Let's see at what point he ends up getting upset or at least getting that first loss. His opponent this weekend, Carlos Vera, comes off the ultimate fighter from this last season where he lost his opening round bout to the eventual winner, Brad Katona. 
Carlos Vera trains out of the 50-50 team, which is headed by uh, BJJ wizard Ryan Hall. And you see similarities in Carlos Vera's, Vera's game as he normally looks to go out there, take fights to the ground, and utilize his submission game. His last two victories have come by nasty guillotine choke as he's been able to get guys to the ground, snatch onto their necks, and take it on home with him. But as we saw in the Brad Katona fight, if you have good enough wrestling and good enough submission defense, you should be able to keep this fight safe, whether it's working from that top position and Landing big shots from on top or even in the striking realm where they should be able to control the fight and beat up the uh, more grapple heavy fighter here. Carlos Vera turned into a or was promoted to brown belt earlier this year so he's definitely improving his game on a, on a fight to fight basis but you got to wonder you know at 36 years old he was probably very much down on himself after he lost on the ultimate fighter because it's not often that the ufc goes out there and signs guys of his age in his situation and who fumbled a bag on the ultimate fighter especially in their opening round belt but luckily for him circumstances allow him to make his ufc debut debut here on short notice but i just think this is not a good matchup for him i think marco should be able to control the uh, striking range here i think his defensive grappling is good enough to keep this fight upright where he should should have a legitimate advantage i just have a little bit of a problem with that minus 530 line yes marco is undefeated yes he is talented and yes he is likely more skilled in this fight but that line is way too wide for a guy uh, against a guy in carlos vera who could have a submission advantage or who could have a bjj advantage and if he's able to put that to use here maybe catch marcos in something he might be able to pull off the upset the predict prediction is still going to be Daniel Marcos and Marcos by decision. But if I can get that sub prop on Carlos Vera around plus 700, plus 800, I might be looking to take a shot there. But official prediction is going to be Daniel Marcos and Marcos by, uh, by decision. All right, next up here, we're going to be talking about a lightweight matchup, a fight that was actually scheduled to take place last week where we got uh, Steve Garcia coming in as a plus 205 favorite, uh, sorry, underdog going up against Melquizael Costa, who comes in at uh, minus 240. Uh, last week, if you guys watched the episode, you guys knew that I liked Costa quite a bit, and I still like him even more, especially considering the fact that the reason the fight was canceled last week was due to an illness that Steve Garcia uh, was suffering from, which caused him to uh, be unable to cut weight, and now this fight actually takes place up a weight class, and you know, just a, a week and a half removed from Steve Garcia not feeling good enough to actually compete or even cut weight. You got to believe that's going to favor Mel Quazella. Melquizael Casa here, but there is still danger in the big power that Steve Garcia possesses. I think that Costa has a good enough lateral movement game and kicking game from outside that he should be able to avoid the majority of damage from Garcia and eventually change levels, catching Garcia off guard, taking this fight to the ground and utilizing his superior jiu-jitsu to put him into bad positions and potentially find a submission. So uh, yeah, look for Costa to avoid the early threat here. I don't mind the chalk on him at all. I think that this is a fight where you know, in MMA, uh, a Hail Mary KO is possible at any moment against any fighter. So Steve Garcia is possible that he can get that shot off. But if Costa can utilize his footwork as we've known to see him do, uh, just like he did uh, against uh, guys like Austin Lingo, if he's able to keep that distance, utilize his kicks, keep him at bay, he should be able to eventually turn that into success for himself as uh, Garcia starts to slow down get this fight to the ground and then Costa should be able to strangle him with some sort of submission so give me Costa and Costa by submission all right next up we got a women's straw weight matchup between two newcomers here we got high end Amanda or high end Dos Santos still 
figuring out whether the UFC is going to go with Amanda or Dos Santos. Uh, she comes in as a minus 165 favorite. She's going up against Dana White contender series alum Talita Alencar, who comes in at plus 145. Now, both these women actually competed on the contender series. Last year in 2022, we had uh, Hyen go up against Denise Gomez. Gomez stuffed all of her takedowns, kept this fight on the feet, and battered her over 15 minutes to eventually get a contract of her own. Uh, uh, Hyen was... Uh, subjected to go back to the regional scene where she picked up three straight wins, including the most recent one in Invicta, where she won the Atomweight title over Jillian DeCourcy. Now, obviously, we know the UFC does not have an Atomweight division, but they still decided to sign her and bring her into the spot to take on Talita Alencar. Amanda brown belt in jiu-jitsu if i'm not mistaken or sorry black belt in jiu-jitsu um has a, a lot of experience under her belt this is going to be a 20 her 21st uh mma fight uh, has competed up here in canada a few times as well where she went one and one uh against uh, Lindsay garbat who's a uh i believe she was a part of the national boxing team up here in canada but normally high end would look to take fights to the ground utilize her jiu-jitsu and try to submit or at least control her opponents but in the last couple of fights we've been seeing her more comfortable in the strike realm which is where she's been able to do most of her damage and pick up the majority of her wins on the flip side for Talita Alencar she actually went to a draw with uh, uh I can't remember the the fighters or uh, yeah Stephanie Luciano um and that was a fight where we saw uh, Alan Carr win the first two rounds with strictly her grappling. And it was a lot of desperation grappling, don't get me wrong. But when she was able to get the fight to the ground, she did a great job in terms of controlling that top position and uh, making her opponent work. Unfortunately, Alan Carr was forced to work a lot as well. And she gave up a horrible third round, which caused a 10-8 scorecard for Luciano. And that fight ended up being a draw. Alan Carr came into that fight as a big favorite, as a lot of people believed in her hyped-up jiu-jitsu game that she had. Don't get me wrong, she is a very talented and credentialed uh, BJJ specialist. She brought that to the table and was unable to get the finish as she was able to do in the majority of her regional fights before that. Um, her striking leaves a lot to be desired, but she seems to have a decent understanding on the timing and ways to get in on the hips of her opponents, as she doesn't mind pulling guard just because she trusts her ability to pull off the reversal or even ability to pull off a submission off of her back. She's 33 years old, so she doesn't have too much time, especially considering she only has five professional fights under her belt. Luckily, it seems like the UFC was more than happy to take her. Even though they didn't sign her on the night of her fight, they actually signed her opponent. They still managed to give her a spot here, considering the short notice nature and the fact that they needed to fill out this card. I'm surprised that she is still the underdog here at plus 145, considering she was a very big favorite on her contender series matchup it's recency bias coming into play here in my opinion where you have a fighter in high end amanda on a three fight winning streak you know has a title from the regional scene as well whereas a lot of people were not impressed with alan carr's last uh, uh, fight i believe that this is a spot where alan carr can utilize her jiu-jitsu advantage and even though high end is also a bjj black belt alan carr is definitely on another level here i feel like she should be able to take this fight to the ground and she should be able to control high end for the majority of 10 minutes maybe even pull off a submission but i think that this is going to be one of those fights where it could look similar to the, uh, alan carr's last fight but i don't think that high end has the strength nor the damaging ability that luciano was able to implement to get a 10-8 which should allow alan carr to go out there and still win a 29-28 maybe even 30-27 decision so give me the underdog here in alan carr to pull off the decision all right, next up, we got Tetsuro Taira going up against Carlos Hernandez. 
Very fun fight here. Obviously, we got minus 515 on the Japanese sensation Tyra and plus 400 on Carlos Hernandez. We'll start off on the Tatsuro Tyra side, who we saw in the most trouble we've ever seen him in since he made his UFC debut. He went up against Edgar Chirez last time around, and Chirez made some very bad fight IQ moves in the first and second round, which caused him to end up losing that fight. He actually won the final round, I believe, on all three judges' scorecards, but had he not pulled guillotine in the first and second round he could have had way more success in the striking realm as he had before he ended up pulling guard in those spots he was out striking tyra and we know tyra's game is primarily centered around his jujitsu he looks to take opponents to the ground changing levels and utilizing his strength but i still think he has a lot of work to do in terms of his technical straight up wrestling in terms of getting guys to the ground he has benefited from guys just pulling guard or even having no uh, takedown defense game at all, which is why he's been able to take these guys to the ground, either submit them or uh, go out there and win decisions against these guys. Uh, his striking aim, pretty much just kicking. He likes to kick from distance and eventually hoping that it pulls out a counter from his opponents where he can duck under, change levels, and get these guys to the ground where he does his best work. He's still only 23 years old, so there's a ton of room uh, for growth still. Uh, so I don't think that, uh, you know, this is the finished product by any means. He still needs to continue taking steps up in competition, garnering more experience, and then realizing, okay, you know, there are certain changes I need to make in my game. And hopefully he learned that from his last fight because we saw how much success Chavez was having in the striking room. Now on the flip side with Carlos Hernandez, who's coming off a big win over Dennis Bondere in a fight he where he primarily stopped the takedowns of his opponent, but was taken down a couple times, but worked right back to his feet, never settled for bad positions, immediately turned his hips on his back, hit the mat so that he can work back to his feet, and then utilizes his superior striking abilities against Bondere, winning that fight on the scorecards. It was a weird one where he got a last-second finish, but it was due to an uh, illegal headbutt after he slammed him to the ground and his head hit his uh, opponent's head. But luckily, the referee still made a good judgment call considering there was only seconds left on the clock there. They went to a technical decision, and it was clear Carlos Hernandez won that fight regardless. Hernandez is skilled. He's a Valley Flow System uh, student, uh, you know, a gym that is mainly known for guys like Bilal Muhammad and Ignacio Bahamundes. And you see his striking style on display, even with the backwards movement that you see him usually utilizing. I used to have a issue with that, but it seems like he has a solid understanding of when to crash the pocket, uh, even with his backwards moving style, which normally pulls his opponents into his shots, which allows him to land with even more severity. Uh, his lateral movement is great. His continued takedown defense improvements are great. And his ability to work immediately back to his feet when he's put in bad positions is even better. And I think that this is a good enough spot at plus 400 to take a shot in a, uh, on an experienced fighter with a better striking game, uh, likely better fight IQ than a guy like Edgar Chirais. And if we can see Hernandez keep this fight on the feet for an extended period of time, he should be able to win this fight just off of damage alone. Tyra might be able to get a takedown here and there, but I think that Hernandez has a good enough submission defense game that he should be able to keep out of bad positions and eventually get uh, a victory of his own. As long as he doesn't give up his back up against the cage like he did against Alan Nascimento, but that's not a way that I see Tyra normally getting his submissions. He needs to get these guys to the ground with the traditional takedown or even just reaping guys up against the cage and then taking them to the mat. But I think that we've seen Hernandez showcase good enough fight IQ in terms of if he does get stuck in the clinch he digs underhooks immediately looks to change positions reverse positions and then back out when he gets his underhooks uh smashed through by his opponent i think hernandez 
plus 400 is worth a small shot here. Tyroy is going to run into that first loss of his career soon enough. And I think Hernandez poses enough issues with his striking advantages and hopefully lateral movement, keeping Tyra off of him, countering Tyra's kicks with some punches, hopefully stuffing some takedowns, getting off enough damage and winning this fight on the scorecards. Plus 400, this is worth a little bit of a sprinkle on Hernandez to hand Tyra his first professional loss. All right, moving over to the women's bantamweight division. We got Luana Santos going up against Stephanie Egger. Obviously, Santos, very young, 23 years old, picked up a... uh, uh, a knockout victory in her UFC debut earlier this year against Juliana Miller, where she was able to stuff the takedowns of Miller, utilize her striking, um, and uh, get the finish. Uh, I think it was like just mere seconds left in that first round where she was able to get the win. She's a BJJ black belt, also a black belt in judo, but she's been utilizing her striking more often than not in her last couple of fights to end up getting her hand raised. Normally, we see her take a grapple-heavy approach, taking her opponents to the ground, grinding them out and winning in that fashion. But it seems like she's very much trusting her striking game now, which is going to be important for her as she continues to grow through her MMA career. Her lone loss came to high-level BJJ black belt Jenna Bishop, who was able to get her to the ground over and over again, grinding her out from that top position and getting her hand raised by decision. Bishop is one of those fighters similar to Carlos Vera, who needs certain circumstances to fall into their favor for them to make it into the UFC considering that Jenna Bishop is a little bit older in age but Luana Santos I know she took a lot from that fight that loss came in the middle of 2022 and she's picked up three straight wins since then obviously making her UFC debut while doing so Uh, she's a very promising prospect but it'll be interesting to see at what rate the UFC looks to bring her along in uh, the rankings and uh, you know just up against other level of competition her opponent this weekend, Stephanie Yeager, is now uh, one and two over her last three fights. Most recently, losing via knee bar to Arena Alexiva. A very poor loss there. Like I, I don't know how she ended up uh, losing a fight like that. She's a BJJ, or sorry, a judo black belt, uh, Olympic level judoka as well, which is where you see her uh, whenever she wins. She normally utilizes that approach. She's able to get her hands on her opponents, utilize her strength, drag them to the ground, uh, do big damage from on top look for submissions but her two or two losses as of late have come via submission so you got to wonder what kind of uh, submission defense she's showcasing as well right she lost the Mara Bueno Silva fight by armbar although controversial armbar and then the Alex Ivanibar that's that's a big uh, red flag in my opinion especially for a fighter uh, competing at this level I'm going to lean ever so slightly to the Luana Santos side, though. I believe she has the better striking in this fight, and I think that her black belt in judo should help her stay competitive against uh, Edgar should this fight get into the grappling room. I believe that Santos has a dangerous of enough uh, submission game off of her back, so even if Edgar does get that top position, I wouldn't be surprised if she's able to pull off something from that position. So I wouldn't mind taking even a little bit of a sprinkle on the Santos by submission prop here, but I do like uh, Santos to control the majority of this fight, and win it by, like I said, uh, submission. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, which takes place in the flyweight division, where we got Hyun Sung Park going up against Shannon Ross. 
Now, Park is fresh off of a winning the uh, Road to UFC tournament earlier this year, where he submitted Sungguk Choi uh, back in February in the third round of their fight. Everything was going smoothly for about six to seven minutes before he ended up getting clipped by Choi. But luckily, we saw him bounce back almost immediately, arguably win that round back. But I can understand why you're going to score for Choi. He got the knockdown. That was the most significant thing to happen. But Park definitely battled his way back into that second round. And then in the third round, utilized his grappling, got the back of Choi, and got that submission victory to get his hand raised. This kid at 28 years old and 8-0 and is probably one of the brightest prospects that Korea currently has. And I think he's going to make his splash in the UFC right off the bat. At 8-0, and uh, like I said, 28 years old, has a great training camp as well. This kid is very talented. He's physically very capable in terms of his explosivity, speed, and power that he possesses, but also has a great cardio game and can go out there and put his opponents to the ringer, pull away late, and get finishes as we saw in his last matchup. He's going up against Shannon Rouse, who I'm still kind of scratching my head as to how he has a UFC uh, roster spot, considering he's 1-4 in his last five fights. Um, He lost his contender series fight by knockout against Vinicius Salvador back in 2022. Somehow, still ends up getting uh, signed and now has been finished in back-to-back fights in less than one minute. Obviously, against Clayton Rodriguez, it took 59 seconds for Rodriguez to get the knockout. And then Jesus Aguilar, the first overhand right he throws, lands cleanly on Shannon Ross and puts his lights out clean. Now, it's been about four or five months since that happened to Shannon Ross, and I'm very surprised that he's taking such a quick turnaround here to get back into the cage to try to save his UFC spot. But I think that is a horrible decision to make, especially against a guy in, uh, in Hyun Sung Park who will have the striking, or sorry, will have the speed advantage, have the power advantage, and should be able to find the chin of Ross within the first two or three minutes of this fight and put him out cleanly. Even if this fight does get extended into the second and third rounds, I think Park's countering skills and his uh, level of uh, ability to keep fights upright uh, should nullify most of Park's or Ross's game. Ross is an explosive power striker who likes to crash the pocket with his big strikes and then eventually look to grind on opponents and take them to the mat. But Park has the perfect skill set to thwart that and eventually land his own power and knock Ross out. So give me Park. Park by knockout, which is probably what I'm going to lean on here to avoid that minus 525 line on Park. But I think Park is worth all the chalk in this spot. I'd be very surprised if Ross is the first guy to go out there and give Park a loss. All right. Let's move on to the next matchup here where we got welterweights on deck and we got Song Kanon coming in as a plus 120 underdog going up against Kevin Jusei who comes in at minus 140. Starting off on the Kanon Song side, he pulled off a pretty big un- uh, upset last time around as nearly a plus 200 underdog to Rolando Bedoya. Bedoya had a solid start to that first round where he was outlanding Song and landing good damage, but it seemed like Song really started to bite down under his mouthpiece and accept uh, the fact that they were going to be exchanging in the pocket a little bit more than he would like, and that allowed him to land the more significant strikes in those spots, clearly stumbling and hurting Bedoya a, certain, uh, a couple of times, uh, and it just looked optically like Song was landing the more heavy blows which allowed him to end up getting the win that night that saved him from a three-fight losing streak something that likely would end up getting him cut from the UFC and that training that he was doing down at Killcliffe FC seemed to be paying off but once again he is uprooting himself and changing the training camp once again and he now finds himself at Bangtao Muay Thai in Thailand it's not that bad of an idea, uh, you know, knowing that if he continues to work on the technical aspects of his striking game, trusting his power 
and hopefully the durability, which is a bit of a question mark, that he should be able to go out there and do what he did against Bedoya. But the issue here is he's fighting another guy who's technically just as good at kickboxing and Muay Thai as him, and that might end up being the difference maker. Obviously, Bedoya was a scrapper, a guy that liked to come forward, but he just didn't have the technical advantages in that matchup to land as much uh, significant damage as Song did. Speaking of Kevin Jusay, he currently rides a four-fight winning streak, which included his UFC winning debut earlier this year when he went out there and defeated uh, Kiefer Crosby in the first round by submission. That just showcases that this guy is pretty well-versed, especially for a guy that's coming from a striking background. He's now really developing a grappling game, something that he can lean on should he feel like a fight is ending up playing too close he's very strong in the clinch position where he's able to rough up opponents with his elbows and his knees but then has a good uh style in terms of creating trips and uh, and um and throws from the clinch position even up against the cage where he's able to take opponents to the ground find a dominant position sink in submissions or at least control those positions for him to eventually get his hand raised by decision He's very solid all around and he's improving at a solid rate, not to mention training with guys at the city kickboxing team that he does. This guy might be, you know, a, a solid prospect coming out of that CKB team that we need to keep an eye on. I think he's the rightful favorite in this spot, even though he doesn't have the experience advantage that Kanan has in the spot. I still believe that Jusei's strength, with his, which is his striking, should keep him competitive in the striking realm against Kanan. But I think this is going to be his ability to grind this up in the clinch, maybe even land some takedowns, which could allow him to pull away with this matchup. Give me Jusei and Jusei by uh, decision. All right, moving on to a middleweight matchup here between the streaking Jun Young Park, the Iron Turtle, coming in at minus 170. He goes up against Andre Munez, who is riding a two-fight losing streak and comes in at plus 145. We'll start off on the Park side, who's coming off of three straight rear naked choke victories, four straight victories overall. Uh, He's really starting to come into his own. This three and two fighter, uh, 17 and five, uh, sorry, 32-year-old fighter, 17-5 uh, and five record as well. Uh, he's solid everywhere. But I think what he does best is weaponize his cardio, his pressure, and just keep opponents on their back foot, stay in their face, stay in the pocket, and then look to f- take fights to the ground where he's able to secure dominant positions and get finishes from those spots. Last time around, he defeated Albert Derive in a very close first round, but managed to pull away in the second round by utilizing his cardio, like I said, and making Derive work to eventually open up that submission opportunity for himself after dropping him with a big shot and eventually finding that submission and getting him out of there. He is a very solid fighter, very durable fighter as well, which is definitely very helpful for him against guys who have a striking advantage because his striking is just above average at best, but it's really his clinch, his pressure, and his takedowns that are very impressive, which make him so dangerous. You got to believe his confidence is at an all-time high now, and I believe he now has a 7-2 record in the UFC. He's a very solid fighter that a lot of people should be keeping their eye on. His opponent this weekend, Andre Muniz, is a guy that was recently streaking and had a lot of people very hyped about him, but now he founds himself on a two-fight losing streak and fights that he has been finished in both of them. He is a plus 145 favorite here, which is a far cry from the minus 200 spots that he found himself in his last two matchups. But that just goes to show that guys can be very streaky and there might be public perceptions that might be overhyping certain guys. You know, I, I know Munez was being overhyped because of that win that he had over Jacare Souza, but he still went out 
there and got wins over Eric Anders and Uriah Hall. But then Brendan Allen and Paul Craig were able to showcase that if he's unable to get these guys out of there early, he struggles to maintain his pressure and his confidence and his success later in fights. And that's what I expect to be the case here. I think Junior Parker has good enough submission defense, good enough grappling defense, that he should be able to stick to his... Uh, pressuring game with his striking and his footwork staying in the face of Munez stuffing the takedowns keeping this fight on the feet or at least making Munez work on the ground if they do end up on the ground and then really starting to take over in the second and third rounds where he should be able to pressure Munez enough and open up a finishing opportunity for himself give me Park and I think Park actually gets this done in the third round and I think he is more than worthy of the minus 170 spot that he finds himself at all right, moving over to the lightweight division now, where we got Nazrat Hakpras going up against Jamie Malarkey. We'll start off on the Hakpras side, who's on a two-fight winning streak now, after defeating John Mcdesi as well as a short notice Lando Quinones. He now takes on a experienced Jamie Malarkey and looking to continue to build upon that three-fight winning streak that he has. That was on the back end of a two-fight losing streak he had at the hands of Dan Hooker and Bobby Green in fights where he was just technically outstruck by those guys. Hackpress is a solid technical striker of his own who very rarely throws single pot shots. More often than not, he's throwing one-twos, uh, you know, three-strike combinations, four-strike combinations. And considering how much power it seems that he throws with, it's surprising that he has only one finish in the UFC. I believe he was 6 or 7-0 and before coming to the UFC, and all of those fights were finishes, knockouts. But since coming to the UFC, he's only been able to knock out Joaquim Silva uh, a couple years back, and all his other wins are coming by decision. He's just doing enough damage by hurting these guys, but not finishing them, and obviously putting the numbers and volume on them as well, which allows him to end up getting his hand raised. His ground game, there's not much to see there considering not many opponents look to take him to the ground. But even if they do, he does a good enough job of stuffing their takedowns so he can keep fights in the striking realm where he is more than comfortable with exchanging with his opponents in the pocket and putting the pressure on them. His opponent, Jamie Malarkey, was seemingly showing some solid improvements during his two-fight winning streak against Michael Johnson and Francisco Prado until he ran into Mohamed Naimov, who was able to shut off his lights in the second round of that matchup. That was a fight where Malarkey was doing pretty well and showcased that he was, you know, improving, showcasing that he could mix in his grappling with his striking. And he did that against John McDessie as well. Although I believe a lot of people, myself included, thought that he actually deserved to lose the McDessie fight. He showcased a lot of damage. He was hurt a couple of times. And that's going to be his problem at the end of the day. His durability seems to be a big question mark as he seems to get caught up easily. And optically speaking, it just doesn't look that good for him. And also, I think that he can be knocked out against power strikers like i said his improvements have included his ability to mix and grappling behind the striking but i think that's only going to work against a certain level of opponent and unfortunately for him i think hack Brass is going to be able to snuff those uh takedowns out keep this fight in the striking realm where, sh where he should be able to land the more effective damage and potentially even find the finish in this fight notching his second ufc knockout i believe the ko line for hack Brass is around plus 275 plus 300 i think that's a solid spot as again, he's not notoriously known for being a knockout puncher, but I think that how this fight matches up, the the collision course, course both of these guys are on, and where Jamie Malarkey is at with his own durability, Hakpras should be able to snuff out a takedown here, or sorry, a knockout here, hopefully a knockdown and eventually a knockout, but I think that he can end up getting uh, Malarkey out of there probably by the second round. I'm going to call it Hakpras by, by knockout. All right. 
Moving on to the next matchup here, which actually takes place in the bantamweight division. It's going to be a fight between Sumadarju, who comes in at plus 150, and short-notice replacement Tim Elliott, who comes in at minus 175. Now, Sumadarju was actually scheduled to fight Alain Nascimento this week, but Nascimento was forced to pull out of that matchup, and luckily Tim Elliott was there to save the day. And even though this fight was originally supposed to take place at flyweight, Tim Elliott was like, hey, I'll step in, save this matchup, but I don't want to cut the extra 10 pounds. And luckily, Sumadarji agrees, and he can get back into the cage for the first time in almost a year and a half. If you guys remember, Sumadarji went out there and uh, had a very fun fight, entertaining fight against Matt Schnell last time. But it was Matt Schnell ended up getting the last laugh in the second round after getting hurt repeatedly. He was able to get Sumadarji to the ground and eventually lock up a triangle choke where he was able to get the... Actually, he didn't even get the tap because Suma Darji went straight to sleep. Sue is a very solid striker, technical striker, and you can see him look at his best when he's fighting fellow strikers like Andrei Sukumtat and Zaruk Adeshev, or if he's able to go out there and just quickly knock out a grappler like he did against Malcolm Gordon. But as we're seeing in the majority of his losses, he's getting submitted. Louis Smoka, Matt Schnell, these guys are able to get him to the ground, and his takedown defense does not look the greatest. But I wonder what kind of improvements he's going to be making considering he now has joined forces with Team Alpha Male. This is a guy who originally trained with American Top Team, but I think that his connection with Song Yudong has brought him up to Team Alpha Male, and we'll see if they can make the grappling uh, improvements that he needs so that he can keep fights in the striking realm where he is most comfortable and able to get off on his shots. It will be tough for Suma Darji to do that considering he is fighting the all-time leader in takedowns for the flyweight division in Tim Elliott. I expect Tamelia to go out there and get this fight to the ground over and over again. And from there, he should be able to control the majority of this fight and possibly even lock up a submission. You're talking about a guy who recently had his two-fight losing streak stopped in his last matchup back in October against Mohamed Makayev. But if you guys look at the scorecards there, two... Two judges actually had Elliot up 2-0 going into that final round. And had Mokhayev not gotten that stoppage, he likely ended, would have ended up losing that fight and suffered his first professional loss. So that would have been a big win for Elliot. And I think he wants to take that energy, pissed off at himself for not being able to pull that off and get this victory over Sumodarji, which is why I think he was more than happy and excited to take this short notice opportunity when it sprung itself on him. Again, I think the fact that this fight will be taking place at 135 pounds is very important as Tim Elliott will not have to kill himself to make that 125-pound limit. I believe he's been training enough to stay in shape, ready enough for a short-notice opportunity. And I think stylistically speaking, this is perfect for him, fighting a guy who likely might be the better technical striker but i think the awkward movement and style of tim elliott on the feet will allow him to set up his takedowns get this fight to the ground and grind out sumadarji finding that submission within 10 minutes of this matchup so give me tim elliott to get the victory here in this short notice assignment all right that brings us to our co-main event of the evening where we got anthony smith going up against khalil roundtree now, we'll start off on the Anthony Smith side of things, who's coming off of a split decision victory over Ryan Spann. It was a very close fight where we saw him win the first round, get brutalized in the second round, and something that we usually don't see, Smith managed to battle back from a fight which he was losing and actually do enough work in that third round to get his hand raised by decision. It's a very solid spot and something that he probably wasn't expecting considering the first time he went up against Ryan Spann, he was able to club him, sub him that night and get the victory. But this one was a very tough fight for him that he was able to get the win and snap that two-fight losing streak that he had at the hands of uh, 
Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker after that. But Smith, very talented fighter, or at least very skilled and experienced fighter as he comes into his 56th professional fight here. We know he has a good calf-kicking game. We know he has some decent striking. I believe he's a BJJ black belt as well. And I think he has enough experience to go out there and give a guy in Khalil Roundtree some solid resistance. We got Roundtree, who's on a four-fight winning streak, looking as best or as good as he has or have has ever have although the win that he had over Dustin Jacoby was highly disputed I think a lot of people agree that Jacoby should have won that fight now Khalil Roundtree has to go out there and try to do the same thing against uh, Jacoby's teammate Anthony Smith Khalil really made a lot of improvements after uh, his performance against Eric Anders where he showcased his improved Muay Thai ability and his ability to go out there put strikes together kicks together and really not be that reckless juggernaut that he was when he first came into the UFC off of the Ultimate Fighter he was originally a guy that just threw big winging hooks and looked to get his opponents out of there quickly, but now he's comfortable with throwing combinations and just trying to hurt his opponent and eventually find that knockout rather than chasing the knockout. But I still think that he is one of those guys that can be cracked and can uh, wilt under some of the pressure that his opponents could put on him. I was surprised to see him open up as such a big underdog, but now surprised him as seeing him as that minus 225 range. Obviously, he's probably at a better striking uh, pace than Anthony Smith at this stage of their career, but we've seen Smith go out there and hold his own against other power strikers like Ryan Spann. He's comfortable with butting down on his mouthpiece and trading in the pocket. And I think he can do the same thing here against Khalil Roundtree. As long as he's able to survive the early onslaught of Roundtree, I think he could put together a better body of work over 15 minutes against a guy in Roundtree who really needs to gain his confidence in that first round to get his wins. Again, this line is too wide for uh, a guy in Khalil Roundtree who a lot of people used to be low on. But now after a couple wins, you know, against guys that are beatable and even the D Dustin Jacoby for a fight that he probably should have lost. This might be a fight that uh, the public might be too high on him against a very uh, experienced and, and solid test in Anthony Smith. So give me Smith here to pull off the upset. And I think he actually wins by decision here by having a better body of work, maybe mixing in some takedowns, uh, wearing on Khalil, uh, maybe getting in some calf kicks as well to slow down Khalil. But as long as he doesn't get knocked out early, something that has not been done to him in over six or seven years, if I'm not mistaken, this is a fight that, that he could absolutely win. Sorry, Uncle Ive did knock him out, uh, but that was a ground and pound. That was a grapple type of TKO compared to the types of knockouts that Khalil is looking for nowadays, which is straight up striking on the feet. That has yet to happen to Anthony Smith in a long time, and he's faced some pretty heavy power punchers. Give me Smith to pull off the upset here. All right. Main event time, bantamweights going out of here, where we got minus 355 on Song Yudong as he takes on Chris Gutierrez, who comes in at plus 280. We'll start off on the Song Yudong side, who's coming off of a knockout victory over Ricky Simone last time around. That was a tremendous performance from Song Yudong as he stuffed all the takedowns of Ricky Simone and then put the power punching pressure on him as he normally does. Now he is not as reckless as he was when he first came into the UFC and it's great to see him really adapting to that Team Alpha Male style, utilizing his grappling defensively so that he can put the pressure on his opponents with his striking and with his power and just walking them down and not just chasing knockouts anymore, just letting them happen. And he has also shown some solid grappling skills of his own where he's been able to utilize it, uh, get opponents to the ground, rack some points up there, then get back to the feet and get back to his striking. His cardio is also improved, so you have to give him some kudos there. 
his lone defeat in this stretch that he's on right now uh, came at the hands of Corey Sandhagen a close fight that ended up being stopped due to a nasty cut that Song Yudong suffered in that matchup uh, and obviously ended up giving him a loss there at 26 years old he's clearly becoming the best fighter he has yet to be but I wonder what he will do against a style in Chris Gutierrez who can cause him problems you got a guy in Chris Gutierrez who's coming off of a victory over Alatang Ali last time around where he was able to batter the lead leg as he has done against most opponents and then utilize his hands after that. That was on the back end of a loss to Pedro Munoz, a guy who consistently put him on his back foot and made him uh, unable to utilize his calf kicking game uh, and pretty much swept him on the scorecards if I'm not mistaken. Now that's absolutely possible here against Song Yudong as well. Song is a guy that's going to pressure him with punches, stay in his face and really hurt him. But if Chris can get off on those kicks, even land three or four right off the bat and really start to slow down Song, this could switch quickly. Like plus 280 is way too out of line here for a guy in Chris Gutierrez who has that. He's probably one one of the best calf kickers, if not the best calf kicker in the UFC. We've seen him completely debilitate opponents in the past and just have fun with them because he's able to just play around at distance, utilize that calf kick, knowing when to time it. And it can debilitate his opponents within the first three or four kicks that he lands. That's absolutely on the table here against Song Yudong, a guy who likes to thrive in the pocket. But if Chris can utilize his lateral movement, pick his spots, use those kicks, land the first couple in the first round and slow down Song, who knows what kind of success Chris could have in this spot. So yeah, I think my, so my prediction is going to be Song, uh, and I think it's going to be Song by decision, but this line is way too wide to not take a shot on Chris Gutierrez at plus 280 or plus 300 that I saw him at earlier this week. So prediction is song. I expect him to land the better shots to the head, better shots to the body, make it look better for the judges. But Chris is a very live underdog in this spot to debilitate and slow down song with his kicks and potentially win this fight on the scorecards or even get a TKO via leg kicks. You're talking about 25 minutes for Chris to potentially put his shin to the calf of uh, or even his foot to the calf of uh, Song Yudong closer fight than the odds indicate I'm not touching Song at minus 355 but I'd rather take a little shot on Gutierrez uh, as the underdog in the spot but official prediction we're gonna go Song Yudong by decision there you guys go breakdowns on all 12 fights for this UFC Vegas 83 card. Remember, there's a ton of other great content dropping throughout this week. Wednesday, we got the top three lock of the night and top three dog of the night. Candidate videos dropping for you guys. Thursday, quick picks. So if you don't want to sit through the hour or close to an hour that I did on this podcast, you guys can get it in a bite-sized version uh, on Thursday, as well as the free parlay for you guys. And then on Friday, uh, three best prop bets as well. Not to mention PFL Europe is this week. So if you're looking for breakdowns on that, that is strictly going to be for the Patreon folks. If you want access to that, written breakdowns on every single fight, best prediction, best prop, and best heads for every single matchup. You can find that on the Patreon page, uh, the Lock of the Night Patreon page. Check the link for that in the description below. And then I will see you guys next week for the final UFC card of the year. But we still have some segments to finish off this week. So I'll see you guys then. Peace. thing.